It's not often that an Olympic gold medalist departs their team midway through their first season there and already finds a new home. We have M. Adler from the next tier to break down what happened with Tina Charles, both on leaving Phoenix and getting to Seattle. This is Locked On Women's Basketball Podcast. Let's go. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Yes, hello and welcome. You are listening to the Locked On to Women's Basketball podcast. Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm Alex Simon, stepping in to host today for Howard Megdal, who's taken just a little bit of a breather here, making sure he's not playing the full 40. I am a sports editor at the Bay Area News Group in the San Francisco Bay Area, but I am formerly the Phoenix Mercury beat writer for the next. We have M. Adler here from the next who covers the Seattle Storm and various other things here at the next. M does basically everything. We want to thank you for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And don't forget that Lockdown Women's Basketball is free and available on all platforms for you to listen to. And you can watch it on YouTube if you head on over there. So today we have maybe one of the most shocking midseason moves the WNBA has seen in a long time. As Tina Charles agrees to a contract divorce, the WNBA's fancy term for a buyout, with Phoenix and very quickly has found a new landing spot in Seattle. Em is the one who broke the news that Tina will sign in Seattle alongside Jackie Powell and others at the next. And there is just so much to get to, Em. I imagine that it was a very hectic and interesting Saturday for you. I certainly had my work cut out for me. Specifically because I was eating dinner with my father when I saw that she had a buyout. And I immediately thought, as a joke, oh, hey, Seattle is a team that might have been interested in her in the offseason. And it's a place she would fit in. So, you know, let me just reach out to people, see just in case. Because I, I had to go to a wedding at about 5 o'clock. So in the span of three hours, I go from, I don't think there is anything, to someone is telling me that there might be something. To having to write a full article, having to break the news, and at, at the very last minute before I leave for my cousin's wedding, being able to finally get this news to break, it's 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 worth the stress. I was going to say, I imagine the moment that you did break the news and you're on the wedding, you what shut the notifications off and then come back and just see how crazy the phone was once you get back. Yeah, I saw the tweet starting to get some numbers when I went in for the reception, which, by the way, my mother officiated. So that was wonderful. I, yeah. I got immersed in that. And then when I opened my phone after the party, uh, Twitter was unusable. I was going to say, at some point, the phone just dies because it's been so crazy. But I, I, in, it's in part because this is, this is maybe one of the biggest midseason moves that the WNBA has ever seen. You, Tina made a decision to sign with the Phoenix Mercury potentially with some other opportunities for her to pursue, but she very clearly made the choice and kind of said this, that like, she wanted to go to a team where she felt she had a great shot at a championship and took significantly less money than what her market value could be to sign with Phoenix. Below market rate for the second year in a row after she took about a $25,000 discount the year prior to stick with Washington. But it went all sorts of wrong. Some things to give Phoenix credit beyond their control as Brittany Griner still to this point remains locked up in Russia, 
with a case that the U.S. government has said is her being wrongfully detained. But it clearly has just not worked. And Phoenix got to the halfway point of its season on Thursday by losing its second consecutive game to the Minnesota Lynx, who entered this week as the worst team in the WNBA. And Phoenix not only got beat by them at their home, they then went to Minnesota and got beat again. They finished the halfway point of the season 6-12. and 12, And clearly something wasn't working, which led to this. But M, what, what from your eyes was the things that weren't working? I think the easier question to answer is what was working? You introduced Tina Charles into a system in which Brittany Griner had so much success obviously because she's one of the greatest players of all time, but more specifically the way that she helped everyone else. Brianna Turner, one of, if not the best defensive player overall in the WNBA, is somewhat of an offensive player at best. But the thing she, that Brittany Griner is so good a, at is... A specific but very limited skill set. Mm-hmm. But what Brittany Griner was so good at was being tall so she could get she could get BT the ball from the opposite block, which... Tina Charles, for a center, is an excellent passer and a really good playmaker in certain situations, but she's not 6'7", she's not 6'6", six, six, she's Nine. not 6'5", either. She She's none of those things, and so her passes go from the inside to the outside. They don't go inside to inside, because those will go into defenders' arms. It, it hurt BT in that. Yeah, it, it hurt BT in that sense. She's not as much of a She's just not as much in the rhythm of the offense as as Brittany Griner was either, and it just led to a lot of stagnant offense, which when you add Diamond to Shields and also uh, Diana Tarazi gets worse from two, that leads to a lot of stagnant offense pretty much everywhere. And, and look, like I think actually it's interesting. You and I frequently, when I was actually still writing about this team for the next as these offseason moves were happening, you and I were frequently messaging each other saying, Man, when you sign a player like Tina, you are basically skewing any possible fit, even when you thought about BG there, because of the fact that Turner really can't even play the three next to, you couldn't do a, a super big Turner, Charles, Griner lineup pretty much at any point. The whole thought was, hey, if we bring in Tina, then we can basically play two of those three at all times and really just have elite level play on at least one end of the floor all the time and potentially on both ends of the floor all of the time between Turner, between Charles and Griner in particular. So now you look at without BG, Charles's defense was lackluster at best. She really didn't attack the rebounds to the extent that you thought a team like Phoenix would need her to, especially because of the fact that they're relatively small on the wing and at the guard position. So I, I kind of look at it and say the fit question was still there and they didn't really address where they had holes by bringing Tina in. And then especially when you have, you know, your heart ripped out from you with BG not being available to you, that changes everything. And not only that, on, on the defensive side as well, Brittany Griner is, her, her, her accolades might, might precede her when it comes to her actual defensive ability, but, she's, but she had length and she generally knew where to be. Whereas Tina, for her career, is not much of a defensive player in, in general. And look, it, like there's clearly other things happening in Phoenix. Like from my reporting from the years, Griner is somebody who connects a locker room and can kind of be a lot of things to a lot of different people. She has a very diverse background, not just in being a prominent gay black woman, but also somebody 
who's from the country, as she would like to say. She's a country girl. She grew up with police officers all throughout her family. She has a very unique background, and it's just a generally affable, easygoing, easy-to-connect-with person who could easily talk to a variety of people and maybe was the glue that potentially could keep a 40-year-old Diana Taurasi connected to some younger players in their mid-20s. And then you bring in Tina, who, charitably speaking, has had questions about how easy is she to get along. And there's even reports from ESPN that she very quickly within her time at Phoenix was not happy there and was already kind of pushing to be let go. That to me maybe is where you miss Griner even more is not necessarily on the court, but in the way that the locker room chemistry breakdown could happen because clearly something broke chemistry wise in Phoenix. For sure. And when you look at Washington, who she was with the year prior, that roster is almost entirely, other than her, that roster, the top of the rotation is mostly the same as it was last year. And our Jen Hatfield, our Washington beat reporter, has noted throughout the season, especially in the early going, how many different players and coaches were just noting offhandedly how much the vibes were better this year than last year, how much the locker room just felt like a more positive place as compared to 2021. And Tina Charles finished as the leading score in the WNBA efficiently. She finished fifth in MVP voting. She was really good. And you still have players essentially, it essentially talking shit about her to the media just offhandedly, obviously not mentioning her name, but well, well, in, in particular, Jen has reported that when Tina returned to Washington with Phoenix, that there really wasn't anybody making note of her return. There was no tribute video posted. There was not really, anybody saying hello, which contrasted very starkly from when Emma Miesemann came back even earlier this season. And I kind of want to get a little bit more into kind of Tina's hard luck here in a moment. But first, I want to tell you, I myself have actually been doing a lot of driving recently. I've been moving back and forth between Phoenix and the San Francisco Bay Area. And it has been incredibly stressful to think about my car and kind of some issues that could pop up, especially because a lot of the drive between Phoenix and San Francisco is pretty warm and you want to make sure your car is functioning properly. And so for me, when I think about car issues, the company I think about is Rock Auto. They have some amazing selection and some really low prices. They really will have all the parts your car will ever need. So go ahead and visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. And when we, when we look at Tina, she is somebody who, when she made the move to Washington, was planning on pairing up and forming a pretty dominant front court with Elena Delabon. And in two years, obviously 2020, as she made that move, then COVID happened. And both Elena and Tina did not play for the Mystics. Neither did did Natasha Cloud. Correct. Then in 2021, as Tina plays the majority of the season, Deladon's back flares up and they get a single game together on the court as a front court partnership that you know, whether whether or not that player was crucial in bringing Tina aboard, she had previously played for Mike Tebow. One game with the front court partner that you were planning on signing up to play with in two years. Then you come to Phoenix with the thought of, hey, I've played with Brittany Griner for years on Team USA. It went pretty darn well in the Olympics last year. There's other players who I've played with before as well. But me and BG, front court, we can make this work. And then this happens. From Tina's perspective... I can see very easily a way in which you look at it and go, hey, I came and I was going to be prepared to sacrifice a lot to play next to Brittany Griner. 
But when Brittany Griner's not here, I'm capable of taking on that load for her. And maybe Phoenix, I have no idea exactly where that went down, but clearly if the reports are that Tina was frustrated with her role and frustrated with the amount of usage she was getting, it doesn't surprise me where if you're in Tina's position, you've been chasing this ring and being willing to look for a front court partner and that partner just can't keeps not being able to play with you. And I could see how you're saying, well, I guess I can do it if that's what we need. And then when you're told that's not what you need, I can see where the frustration could set in. And not only that, it's that she is basically the second most efficient shooter, scorer, what have you, of that, of what was their starting lineup at that point. Anyway, Diamond of Shields has been, her, her scoring numbers, her shooting numbers are better than they were in Chicago the last I checked, which in Chicago, they were just generally bad overall, but a lot of that time she was recovering from injury, and they've been up and down this year, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Danny Tarazi currently has significant trouble scoring anywhere but from ca- but from catch-and-shoot threes, and even then her efficiency isn't what it's been for a career, which makes her one of the least efficient shooters on that volume in, frankly, league history. Scott and- Smith remains excellent. And in particular, by the way, this is a team that is built to be heavily reliant on a 40-year-old who is basically just a three-point shooter at this point, and like only a three-point shooter when it comes to offense in terms of how they produce offense, save for maybe ball distribution. But even that has slightly dipped, and when the two-point shooting disappears and the three-point shooting is less efficient than ever, even if some numbers look good, you're asking basically the player who you believe is the greatest player of all time to still be that at age 40. whether that was a foolish proposition, it kind of seems like it that way. Though we will note, they did play a game without Tina. And after many games where they kind of wil- wilted away and gave up games in the fourth quarter, they did come from behind to win this game. So maybe Phoenix realized we're at the halfway point. This isn't working. We think we know the one person we need to get rid of to maybe make this work and salvage something. Because, oh, by the way, don't forget, people, the Chicago Sky have the Phoenix Mercury's first round pick next season. And actually, Indiana, I believe, has their second round pick next season, too. So the Mercury have nobody to add in the draft. But the, if they miss the playoffs, they don't even get the benefit of a top four pick. That would go to the Sky. So, you know, James Wade is just sitting there rubbing his hands together being like, oh, man. Uh, but, yeah, this Phoenix team clearly wasn't working. And they make the move to agree to do this, even though it is an admission of a failure. The funny thing about the inefficiency within their offense is that not only, as I mentioned, was she one of the two players really driving any sort of efficiency within that offense, but over the past few games leading up to this buyout, she was playing at the top of her game. She scored 29, then 27, and then only 7, and then 26 points in the last four games of the team, all on very good efficiency, 62.5% true shooting over that over those uh over those games, and that's the player they elected to get rid of. Um, but, you know, Alex, in terms of going from Phoenix to and, and really joining the Ether, do you know another team in the WNBA that's heavily reliant on a 40-something almost entirely shooter? That would be the Seattle Storm, and I uh, imagine that that's going to become a very interesting thing here. Or are you going to say that there's technically no one? But Well, no, no, that's true. But thankfully for, thankfully for the Seattle Storm, their 40-something-year-old shooter does not take many twos. She knows her game, and she remains one of the best playmakers in the W. 
Correct. And not only that, she doesn't take the volume of three-pointers, even if that's all that she's doing. She does not take nearly the volume that Diana does, nor is she asked to take the volume. Like Phoenix, Phoenix still kind of shines Diana Taurasi into a role that she might be able to still functionally do, but it's not the most efficient thing to probably do for your roster and maybe not the most game-by-game uh, -game reliable thing to do. And obviously... Brittany Griner could fix a lot of that. But what I do want to make note, Tina has not. We are recording this Monday afternoon. It's Monday evening on the East Coast afternoon on the best coast, the West Coast out here, uh, where Tina is going to keep staying by your report. Um, I did find it super fascinating that Phoenix Mercury head coach, first year head coach, Vanessa Nygaard, who really got put in a no-win situation, I would argue. Um, but I do think there's been some things that Nygaard could have handled better. And even by kind of hinting sure. that Tina elected not to play in some games that's bringing a lot of drama into this situation that i find very interesting and whenever tina does she is not again officially signed with seattle yet but she will be signing with them potentially sometime here in the next you know 10 minutes to 48 hours tina probably has to address that once she gets to seattle and settles in is what was happening for you on your end and this story is not going to go away the moment she lands in Seattle. And the thing about that comment on the way out from Nygaard is that's, frankly, that's not what a good coach does. And that's not what a seasoned veteran coach does. The, the one thing you do is when a situation ends, you want, especially during a season, you want to get over it and you want to advance onto the next stage. You don't want to linger on it. Those kind of comments, they add more questions that need to be answered. They keep people interested in this cycle of, something that you are actively trying to move on from. And they also engender bad will with other players who might sign there because they think, oh, if something goes sour and something needs to change, I'm going to get bad-mouthed in media on my way out. Yeah, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Actually, we're slamming the door into your backside as you're walking out the door. And, the, and, and specifically on that, you wonder if there might be a sort of organizational philosophy behind this, just given ESPN's reporting... You have to wonder, Tina Charles is not someone who you talk to directly very often in terms of sourcing things. She's not someone who has a, who has a posse of people that you can easily get sourcing from. So the question is, who is giving you the story? I don't doubt its accuracy in one bit. The question is, who's framing it? And, it, and again, that's in part, will Tina, she might say, look, I'm, I'm no longer in Phoenix. I don't want to address it. It will be fascinating. I think just from a personal perspective as somebody who's watched the league, this team in Phoenix, but also Seattle in this way with of intrigue, but it is worthy of note that if you look at the difference, like if Tina's goal is to win a championship halfway through the season, it's clear Phoenix was not on a championship path, no matter what this specific makeup of a roster there. Before we get to where what the team she's going to looks like, I do want to point out something, which is that if, if you want a way to kind of see how the public could view who is the team that you should look for in terms of championship, BetOnline has had WNBA odds each and every day of the season, and they've had championship odds that update as the season rolls along. Earlier in the season, Phoenix was considered one of the top teams. You could have got their odds pretty good. Now they have the third worst odds in the league. Meanwhile, the Seattle Storm, this team that Tina has decided she's going to join, have the fourth best odds in the league. They're right in that the Aces are the runaway favorite, which I think makes sense to everybody. But then there's a second group of teams that Seattle is right there with in terms of Chicago, Connecticut, and Seattle. 
which makes the sky a fantastic bet, I must say. Yeah, I think all three of those teams are championship-worthy teams, and you can decide if you believe in those teams and you think, I want to do this. BetOnline has you covered. They've got those season-long props. They've got odds for each and every game throughout the WNBA season. They've got more props, odds, and lines than ever before. So head on over to BetOnline.net. BetOnline, where the game starts. So when you look now where Tina is in Seattle, you know, it was reported that Tina was choosing Phoenix over Seattle in her mind because she thought she would have a bigger role in Phoenix. And the Seattle team has rolled really kind of with a few players in the post stepping up this season. I have to imagine there's a little bit of concern, not just bringing in Tina in terms of how does it make the chemistry work, but even just on court product, Seattle has found something that's working and from your end where you cover this team, how do you see Tina fitting in? That's a great question because I don't know exactly what they brought her in to do. Everyone has their guesses and it seems everyone has landed on this. Then the thing that I did when I had that article out, which is the best spot for her, the, the place where she very clearly fits in. There's, it's, a, it's a square peg into a square hole is leading the bench unit. If playing you know, just a normal center at the bench unit playing with four other players who can shoot, who can defend, who can make up for pretty much everything that she might not want to do. Um, and maybe spelling into with some starters a couple times. I'm sure she would, Stewie would look fine because everyone with Stewie looks great. With Jewel would probably work as, would, would probably work quite well because we've seen exactly what uh, Tina did with Skylar Diggins Smith, who is, I mean, if you're looking for comparison between Two players in the WNBA, Jewel Lloyd and Skylar Diggins-Smith, is about a one-to-one of anyone as you can possibly find. And you can also argue, by the way, as you kind of pointed out, there's a lot of comparables between the current Sue Bird and the current Diana Taurasi in terms of what their capabilities are in the court. In terms of interplay between guards, Sue is maybe a little bit more of a passer and a little bit more of a playmaker in terms of distributing to other people than Diana. But And also, by the way, these are players Tina has also played with. She's played with all three Olympic gold medalists just in this last run in Tokyo. So there's there's a way in which if you look at it from Tina, as long as you're willing to take whatever role you get, which maybe you think after, you know, this first half of the 2022 season, there's a little bit of a tail between the leg and says, I I just want to go get a ring and you guys have a far better shot. I'll do whatever you need. Perhaps that's a thing to do. And also, that's quite the luxury for Seattle to be able to say, look, when somebody's not having it, hey, if we need to close with Tina Charles off the bench instead, we'd be okay with that, I assume. Yeah, of course. You have The thing is, you have to be careful with that, of course, because we've seen what the Seattle team is doing, and we've seen what their identity is, and it's currently defense and also shooting well to start games, shooting well to start the third quarter as well. And then, you know, in the rest of the time, their offense pretty much consists of we have Jewel Lloyd and Brianna Stewart, and you probably don't. The chemistry, as far as it stems from that, is that Ezzie Magvagor fits in supremely well into that flow because you have Sue Bird, who's, who is a primary playmaker and an excellent off-ball shooter. You have Brianna Stewart, who is Brianna Stewart. You have Jewel Lloyd, who is Jewel Lloyd and is also a great playmaker. Gabby Williams, over the past six games, has been turned into less of a pure wing and more of a playmaker slash driver cutter. And that's unlocked, both unlocked her and then unlocked, like I said, the off-ball shooting for Sue Bird and given everyone better looks, which means you really need someone who doesn't need the ball in their hands and doesn't need to do a whole lot with it. So that's Ezzy for you. 
And when you talk defensively, just what she's done with her length, the switchability, it fills in everywhere. The Storms lineup that they like to go to, usually the first one off the bench, and then if they have the timeouts and they want to alternate offense defense in the fourth towards the end of the fourth quarter, where they just swap out Sue Bird for Brian January, has a legitimate case to be the best defensive lineup in the history of the WNBA. And it's trending like that when you see teams try to play against it. It's hard to get Charles in there. I will say you can see the fit offensively, right? Especially with Williams's emergence as she has been, where if you're just swapping out Tina Charles for Ezzy Magbador, that's a player who can do all the things as he can do. And then some on the offensive end, whether that's the role she's been accustomed to, if she's willing to say, I'm going to do whatever you guys want. That's an awesome offensive switch with a little bit of sacrifice on the defensive end, but they're a team that maybe can fit that sacrifice. The question becomes, as you said, leading that second unit might work. Really, part of what got Phoenix in trouble is that they really couldn't find the right front court pairing to go up with Tina because on offense, Tina plays a different way, even as she's become more and more of a stretch player over the years and been able to build the three-point shooting. She just is most comfortable in the post, and you probably can't play her too often with Ezzy at the same time. I think... God forbid Mercedes Russell. Right. And so there's a very limited role in a very limited way in which Tina is going to fit this roster that might max out at 20-ish minutes a game. And that might even be stretching it a tiny bit. And and that's where there's so much mystery that we're going to just find out as the season goes. Because if you're Seattle, the risk is probably pretty low, relatively speaking. And the reward could be extremely high but that's the exact same bet that another team down in the arizona valley just made and that risk is all that hit on that bet yeah the thing about those front court pairings as you mentioned is it's tough with that if i know seattle head coach noel quinn like i think i do She's going to try Ezzy and TC together at some point, and you can see the outline of how it could work, because Ezzy is a, is, is a pretty good jump shooter for a center, although on lower volume, and can hit threes, and she takes them with enough regularity to force defenses to guard her somewhat. Team Charles can do respect it. Yes, Team Charles can do that as well, and they're both decent, not, not bad, not great. They're both decent high-low players. She, she played as he with Sadie's last year, and that was an even worse pairing, theoretically. And But when you think about the main pairings for her as a center, it's Brianna Stewart and it's Stephanie Talbot. And those players can fit with any center. They are true Swiss Army Knives, of obviously, to obviously different degrees. But like you said, all of it comes down to exactly what she wants and what she's willing to do. In that ESPN report, they said that for Charles, the decision came down to Seattle and Phoenix in the offseason. And at the time, that wasn't that just hadn't been reported, that hadn't been leaked, which nothing really ever gets leaked from Seattle. But one of the things that does suggest is that they really didn't get too far in that process. And Seattle is a team that has a number of concerns when it comes to adding players into the mix. They are very, very particular, as particular as any team really can be. They're particular about making sure that they're adding good personalities and adding excellent culture culture fits to their locker room. When you look at Kayla Samuelson, for example, straight up for Gabby Williams, there were higher priorities than that. 
there was bringing in a friend of Brianna Stewart's, and there was adding athleticism and defense to that wing spot. But you also brought in not that Lou wasn't a wasn't a good fit. She she was everyone tends to like her everywhere she goes. But Gabby Williams has already become one of everyone in the locker room's best friends. She and Jewel Lloyd, for example, and I can break this exclusive news. She and Jewel Lloyd, for example, have been have been uh, binging Avatar: The Last Airbender together, which I mean, look I can say is the best way to bond. You, why would you binge anything else, right? Yeah. So it's fair to wonder, you know, if the talks didn't get that far in the off season, were there concerns over her reputation and you know what came out of Washington that we mentioned at the beginning of the show, and how much that might have played into people being hesitant to add her as opposed to, as we know, pursuing Stephanie Dolson or re-signing Mercedes Russell. It's, and there was, it's notable. There were plenty of people who were kind of earmarking Tina to Seattle as a fit, and it never really seemed like it got anywhere. Like you said, mm-hmm. Seattle is not a front office that you're going to hear too many leaks from. And frankly, Tina, as a player and her agents, aren't going to leak much information about her. So it's not necessarily all that surprising to me that we hadn't heard that that was something that was seriously considered though. Others from the outside definitely tried to pair one and one together there. Um, But look like this is a player who made a decision and clearly it did not work. And, you know, if you're Seattle, you don't have to do this. Now you want to, because if you think about it from an offensive perspective, you can have, as you're pointing out, Seattle right now has maybe the best defensive five-person unit that you could put together in league history. In terms of offensive might and potential, it's there for this Seattle group. If you get to a point where, hey, we need to make an offense for defense sub late in a playoff game, well, we can take Ezzy Magbagor out and put Tina Charles in. That's pretty good. And then on the other end, hey, let's sub Tina Charles out for Ezzy Magbagor. You can maybe slide Bree in January in there, like you said, for Sue Bird. And look at that defensive group. You have a couple of players and you have a roster depth that can fit this player in as long as Tina herself is willing to fit in to the very specific thing Seattle has for her. You wonder if that might be something she's willing to embrace at this point because it went so wrong in Phoenix. At least you kind of, if you're Seattle, you have to assume that, right? Yep. And, you know, no harm, no foul. And, but the thing about Seattle is, they're a team that if, like the ESPN report suggested that this behavior, I shouldn't say this behavior because Phoenix is not the easiest place for anyone to play. It's a, this situation, it's a situation that tests you. If this sort of dynamic that was present there shows up in Seattle, this front office, again, is, is the kind of front office that they don't care about the name on the roster. You'll be cut quickly. And, and in, in the fact that she's coming in, she will have non-guaranteed contract for the rest of the season when she signs here. So if she yep. even just wants to make the amount of money, it, we, we at the Next reported that Tina basically said, just pay me for the amount of work that I've done. I'll agree to get bought out for the rest of my money and cleared up a pretty significant amount of Phoenix's cap space if they decide to make a move and make a trade or do something at the trade deadline. But you could look at that and say, all right, Seattle has, like, if you're Seattle, the risk in if it goes wrong right away, there's very little risk because if it goes wrong right away, hey, we tried you, it didn't work, goodbye, and you can cut her pretty quickly. But and specific and specifically for Seattle, depending on when or, when she is signed, you know, we don't know at the recording of this pod. It could be that she signed Tuesday morning. It could be that she signed Wednesday morning. If it's the former, we could see her play against Vegas because 
really, why would the Storm voluntarily go into a game against Vegas, of all people, with only nine healthy bodies? But, but either way, the bulk of her time and, the, and really the first few opportunities she has to get into the rhythm of things and get into the Storm schemes is a three-game sequence where the Storm play the Fever, they play the Dream, and they play the Fever again. And if you ask me about the kind of, the kind of three-game set when you want to integrate someone into your system, I think that's as good a set as any. It certainly will give them a little bit of a runway to do that. And before we get going, uh, because you brought up the exclusive little bit, and if you had one element that you could bend from Avatar, what element is that? Man, I think I got to go with water just because it's everywhere. Like, uh, like, like think, about how you about could, think about how you could screw with someone. You could screw their internal water. I'm all about the airbending, but that's okay. And, and, and I got to... I hear. I want to airbend. So, uh, that, that's a good point. And I and I can say, Jewel and Gabby, they they think they're both avatars. Look, I have nothing to say to dissuade them from that belief because they certainly can do a lot more athletic and interesting things than I can. And Adler, thank you for all of the reporting that you've done. Where can the people find you and your work? You can always find me at the next M Adler with the daily briefings on the Stormbeat on random special projects. Hopefully coming up, we'll have some mid-season awards that I'll be um, s surveying our people about. And then you can always find me on Twitter at M underscore Adler. That's E-M underscore A-D-L-E-R. Um, yeah, feel free to reach out. It is a wild ride to follow M's Twitter. And I love every second of it as M's friend. And you can follow me at Alex Simon Sports. Make sure you check out the next, thenexthoops.com at thenexthoops on Twitter. Thank you all for joining us on this Tuesday, and we hope you have a lovely day and get to enjoy some good WNBA action today.